0: Welcome to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast, your weekly study group about cosmic witchcraft. I'm not here to teach, just share what I love. I've studied witchcraft like it's my full time job, and now you don't need to spend as much time and energy to get started. I'm known as Asteria in witchy circles, I'm a city girl spiritual seeker and start obsessed, like Amnatsuki Shinomiya in Utapri. Oh, just a warning, there will be loads of otaku references. I'm the one friend that people go to when they want to know whether they can blame a retrograde for their problems, or they can't make sense of their daily tarot card. And now I'm here to be that friend to you too. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy today's episode and I look forward to connecting with you. Ciao witches! This week we are talking about the history of star magic. Star magic constellations and major star events of the year, star seeds, and then I'll leave you with my North Star Protection spell. And there will be timestamps in the show notes. So today's episode is one that's really pushing me out of my comfort zone because I absolutely hate having to position myself as an expert on anything. But this is going to be a lot of personal gnosis brought to you by me and the Collins Dictionary of Astronomy that I got out of the library. If you look up Star Magic on Google, you'll find one book on Goodreads that I can't actually find, an article from Allen, of course, and the Black of Wiki. I have never watched the anime, but now I feel like I should. Anyway, back on topic. One thing about me that some of you may know is that I have a master's degree in history, so if there is something I'm good at is digging up medieval documents, so here we go. You'd think I'm the dad from my big fat Greek (laughs) wedding with how much of what I'm going to say is like it started with the Greeks, but in this case he would be correct. As far as Europe is concerned, the idea of star magic goes back to Aristotelian philosophy, and the idea of an ordered universe. In the year 150 Common Era, year more, year less, a mathematician called Ptolemy created the geocentric model of the universe that European culture held on to for centuries since. Now, the ancient world was almost as interconnected as our internet age, despite the very real barriers to exchanges that we have now overcome. So his work did not come in a vacuum, and astrology goes all the way back to the first millennia in Mesopotamia. What Ptolemaic cosmology did was crystallize the idea of a single, self-contained universe with man at its center, acting as a microcosm that reflected the macrocosm. As above, so below. Now, Ptolemy was a Greco-Egyptian citizen of the Roman Empire, who lived in or around Alexandria and used Babylonian sources for his calculations, which were then written in Greek in his treatise. And this is why, in a nutshell, things in Europe go back to the Greeks, and the (laughs) gaspore causes of this world can rest easy. Have I remembered this night correctly? I, I haven't seen that film in so long. Anyway, I'm going to talk more about the different ways in which antiquity understood astrology in the astrology episode. But the understanding of it that is most closely related to star magic and which we'll be using today is the one in which astrology is divination, which means a tool for communication with the gods and goddesses. Now, if you're new here, first of all, welcome. Know that when I talk about deities, it's up to you if you think of it literally or as archetypes. And if you want to hear more about these different perspectives, you can go back to episode 1. What's key to remember is that in order to practice magic, you need to petition the stars, uh, star magic. Like wishing a shooting star that we learn as children. Then Whether they literally respond to you, or it's your brain priming itself to look for connections through the placebo effect, the results are the same. If your spell worked, you'll get a result, simple as that. Across ancient cultures, there are multiple examples of the idea that the stars were the language that the deities used to speak to us, including the temples of Egypt where Ptolemy lived, and divination at its core just means deciphering messages from the spiritual realm, to guide us in the material realm. Something that I find ironic, as someone raised Catholic, is that the God of Israel is supposedly against divination but then he sends prophets. It would be more correct to say he was against practices that relied on communication with supernatural entities other than himself or the ones he sent. I think it's worth mentioning given how much folk magic exists in Catholic countries and how to this day we have people claiming to have mystical visions. Anyway, the point I was going to make since it's almost Christmas is that it was a star that guided the three wise men to baby Jesus. It really is an ubiquitous connection. So far in this podcast we've talked about aligning with the moon and with the planets and the stars walk in exactly the same way. In scientific terms, a star is a luminous gaseous body that generates energy by means of nuclear fusion reactors in its core. We also know that because of the distance of things in the universe, we see the stars as they were thousands of years ago, which I think gives us a pretty magical view of time. Also it's a myth that they are dead, so if you want to personify them in your walk, you are not too late. You can use stars for magic at any time because, like the planets, they're always there, and the constellations have beautiful stories in different mythologies that you can look into to find one that resonates with you. There are also star deities, Asteria being one of them, and that'll be the topic of the next episode. The most basic constellation are, of course, the 12 signs of the zodiac. Even if you're not going to double into astrology per se, you can rely on the constellation where the sun was in the sky at the time of your birth to be your guide. That's especially powerful if you look at the rising sign instead, as the symbolism there is literally of the sun rising from the horizon at the time of your birth. It's like your personal mythology. Anyway, each constellation has a bigger and brighter star that could be used as your point of reference for your magic, or you can work with them as a group. There are 88 recognised constellations and aside from the 12 zodiac signs, the 7 best known are Orsa Major, Cassiopeia, Orion, Canis Major, Centaurus, Crux, and Carina. No, everything is visible from everywhere in the world at the same time, of course, and I'm most familiar with the Northern Hemisphere, so apologies to anyone who is listening in the Southern one. I believe you simply have it in reverse, in accordance with your seasons, but don't quote me on that. As far as individual stars go, you have Polaris, the North Star, which is the brightest star in Orsa Minor, Then you a series to which my favourite Yuta Pri song was dedicated, and which is a brilliant white star in the Canis Major constellation near Orion's belt, from which you have the Hanging Sword, which is a nebula or a cloud of interstellar gas and dust. These are visible in winter. In the summer you get to see the Milky Way in all its glory, as well as Vega and the beloved Altair, and the other two stars of the Summer Triangle, which are Deneb and Dalbireo. And if this sounds like a made-up language to you, worry not. There are apps like Night Sky that you can use to tell you what's in the sky where you are. There are also spring and autumn constellations, but of course, we can be here for three episodes with me just listing stars instead of talking about magic, so I picked winter and summer as that's the seasons that we're in now for both hemispheres. So, the final major type of stars to work with, which I'll talk more about later with the idea of the star seeds, is the star clusters like Omega Centauri, which can be seen with the naked eye. Clusters are made of stars born roughly at the same time, which in mythological terms brings us to the idea of the Pleiades as seven sisters and so on. In scientific terms, a star cloud is different from a cluster, but in my humble opinion, for magical purposes you can ditch the distinction and just walk with individual stars or groups. I already mentioned that you can walk with the stars at any time, but that doesn't mean that there aren't special times of extra magical significance to lean into. One of course is the pop culture idea of wishing upon a shooting star. That's a really simple way to do meteor shower magic. Meteors symbolize the connection we have with the spiritual realm, so stargazing alone is a powerful ritual that immerses us in something greater than ourselves. But of course, you can capitalize on the magic for your intentions the way the wishing upon a star works, with any ritual you feel called to do. There are multiple meteor showers throughout the year, and most astronomy websites would have a calendar for your location. The observatory in Greenwich has one for the UK, I can confirm that. Then, a star event that is specifically focused on manifestation is the Lion's Gate portal, which is when the Sun in Leo aligns with Sirius. That's roughly between July the 26th and August the 12th with the 8th being the peak magical date because repeat numbers have power in numerology and the 8th is the number of infinity, so even more power. Also, there aren't any coming in 2023, but comets are a powerful star to work your magic with. An astrologer of the imperial court in China in 648 common era call them vile for wiping out the old and establishing the new, which in itself can be a good thing for some people. Octavian, back in Rome in 44 before Common era, would have disagreed as he used the comment after the assassination of Caesar to legitimise his imperial rule, and it appears that there was a comment at the time of the normal conquest of Britain too. On the other hand, There have been comets connected to the plague, but I checked, none came around before Covid. The most recent was in 2006, which I guess spelled bad news for my space. I got myself a second coffee even at 2.30pm when researching this, because we are about to dive into a complicated and controversial topic, and I wanted to communicate clearly. Like a lot of new age beliefs, it comes with a side of racism, but I think that's all the more reason not to stay away from it. I'm going to link to a YouTube video addressing these in the show notes because I hate to reinvent the wheel and I love to support other creators in the witchy community. So. The idea of star seeds traces back to a 1976 book titled Gods of Aquarius, which is a non fiction book recounting the author Brad Steiger's experience with the Egyptian goddess Sekhmet and the revelations he received. Namely, that a percentage of the population on Earth is not entirely human. Some of us are souls that once upon a time lived on a star. It makes for some interesting twists in how we read the little prince, that's for sure. The criteria to know if you are a star seed are suitably vague, and the pool of people engaged with this kind of stuff is limited enough that it could be well could be that if you read a description and it sounds like you, then you are one. Just keeping an open mind here, but if the theory is that these souls are more spiritually advanced it would stand the reason that the general population is not going anywhere close enough to the topic to begin with, right? So it's not strange that so many people in spiritual circles think that they are star seeds. Either way, there are at least 25 families of star seeds, and some people say you can come from multiple places just like our earthly DNA. I'm only going to talk about a handful which are considered the most common ones because they give us a good mix of archetypes. They are all from the light side, although there are a bunch like the Draconians or the Grace from Orion that are quote-unquote dark energies. Some characteristics that all star seeds have in common are a tendency to be different from the norm, significantly more spiritual and even psychic always seeking answers to the mysteries of life and the universe, annoyed by petty things, and, of course, attracted to the stars. You are listening to a podcast about cosmic witchcraft. You probably take all these boxes. Starseeds have a sense of having a big purpose in their lives, but often struggle to identify it. And some would say the purpose is just to push humanity along on their spiritual evolution, in whatever way resonates with us the most, which leads us to the individual families. The Pleiades. You might be from the Pleiades if you are highly attuned to the divine feminine, no matter your sex or gender. Empathetic, family-oriented and likely a major people-pleaser, in astrological terms, they're most identified with the water signs, and they're most connected to water animals. Their role is to be healers, and not just in the physical sense, or even not just about energy and souls. agents are also creative and artistic. Their mission could be limited to their immediate sphere of influence, or be wider in scope. But both are equally significant to the overall goal of moving humanity towards the new age of transformation, which is going to come soon. Although there's no agreement on when among the interested parties, we are meant to enjoy life, and Blaedian star seeds are here to show us the way out of the puritanism of the industrial age. Syrian star seeds. Syrian star seeds are the peacemakers and guardians of the world, whose role is to guide humanity towards its evolutionary end goal. Open-minded and wise, they are invested in caring for nature and tend to lead a simple spiritual life, but not by obligation. They can access the riches of this world, they just are detached from them. They too are connected to water and water animals, They are determined and dedicate themselves to what they believe in. They are also believed to be the race that gave the technological knowledge that we know was in ancient Egypt. Far from being too focused on what goes on in their minds, they are loyal and committed friends. Then we have Arcturus, the leaders with strong personalities and advanced knowledge that we can't begin to imagine. Arturians' natural domain is anything technical where logic is needed, but they are also emotionally attuned and capable of being spiritual leaders if they so feel called. They have no special attachment to the natural world, but their focus on how things work makes them long for a world where science and spirituality coexist. They tend to lean into their masculine more than their feminine, but it'd be unfair to consider them unemotional an and cold. Still, they are the one starseed family that needs the most shadow walk. You could say they are here to heal themselves rather than others. If this sounds like you, I've got you covered in a couple of episodes. Then we have Andromeda. The quiet warriors, who don't have a purpose as a family, but all have their individual wants. They're freedom-loving and find it hard to settle somewhere. Unsurprisingly, they're big travelers, who look like they have fire under their bums so they can't sit down like ever. They have a balance of creativity and logic, and can thrive in both the arts and the sciences, as long as they can stay true to their heart-centered ways. In that respect, they are not dissimilar to the much more common Ple- Pleiadians, but unlike them they have this balance of masculine and feminine energy that allows them to thrive outside of the box, like for instance as entrepreneurs and freelancers. They are also fascinated with medicine and healing and are alleged to have the ability to cure themselves with their thoughts. Orion. Starseeds from Orion are lovers of learning and will only commit to a belief if they are proved proof to back it. You'd find most of them engaged in the sciences for this reason, thriving in the use of their practical and logical brains to bring advances to humanity. Far from being self-absorbed, though they often become activists fighting for the planet. They are connected to the earth science. Orions aren't the only star seeds hailing from Orion. Among them we also find the Mintakans on the light side and the Greys on the Dark Side, although I don't really like to use this duality. The Mintakans like the Pleiadians are highly sensitive people and healers. The Greys are power hungry like any old villain in any old story. And are thought to be the cause of Ryan's trauma that led them to the trust issues that they are trying to heal on Earth. And then the Lirens. is my family if I am indeed a starseed. Highly intelligent beings from Vega, they are probably the oldest starseeds, and some think there are no first generation souls left. The pleasure-seekers who thrive with the chaotic nature of Earth, which they see as a playground for them to grow and expand, as they are the only family not here to heal something. They love anything to do with history, although they live in the present and look towards the future rather than becoming stuck in what used to be. Lee understand that there's a flow to life that's pointless to fight which is a wisdom that men lack. They are independent, quietly confident, and the faultless manifestors, who can balance the feminine and masculine energies and tap into what they need at any one time. Also, they have a strong affinity to birds and cats. Before I move on to the spell for today, I thought it was worth mentioning briefly the three younger generations that you might encounter if you look into starseeds, Although I don't really think they fit in as archetypes of the stars. Indigo, Crystal, and Rainbow Children. These names refer to three generations here to bring about change. They may be new souls or former star seeds, believed to either be Pleiadians or Syrian. The Indigo generation, incarnated in the 70s, got their name from the colour of the aurora. Crystals are their children, who benefited from the barriers broken by the indigo parents who came to heal dysfunctional families. And finally, the rainbows incarnated in the 2000s from the crystals, choosing only happy families. They kind of fit in with this theme, but also don't, but if you can come up with ways to work with them, then great. Unless you were born at the right time I think it's easier to tap into the old star seeds because they are defined by characteristics and not by generation. Now time for my favourite segment. I call this spell the North Star Protection Spell because the North Star is the one behind the star in the tarot and therefore it seems general enough, but feel free to call upon a star of your choice instead. What you need for this spell is your mind, and whatever method of visualisation works best for you. A nice to have, the star, of, uh, car, the star tarot card, sorry, and an object that you can wear or carry with you on your person, and a surface near a window. If you want to buy something specific, there are crystals like black tourmaline and obsidian, which correspond to protection. While the stars are in the sky all the time, you might want to do the spell at night bonus points if your window faces in the direction of your star of choice. You might want to clear your energy before you start, either with a visualization, a ritual shower bath, sun bath or whatever you do for that. The ritual from last episode can be used for these too. I will walk you through this spell using mind magic though, so don't worry if cleansing is new to you. Visualise or speak out loud that you are removing all energy that does not belong to you. You can send it out to the earth like in grounding or even shake it off. Then centre and open the circle somewhere you are comfortable sitting in meditation with a view of the window you are using as part of the spell. Hold the tarot card if you are using it. Either visualizing or scripting the star of your choice as the star in the card and then light, light emanating from the star enveloping you as a person for so all of you like a bubble. In colour magic the colourful production is blue or black, but white is also the catch all colour and if your intuition brings up a certain colour just go with it. It's obviously meaningful to you. What you want to do, as I said, is have a bubble of light all around you, connecting you to the star, so that whenever you leave the house you can lean into these lights and know you are guarded by your star, and can go back to yourself by tuning in with it when the world tries to sway you. Now, if you are not using an object, once you feel all cozy and warm with your starlight, You can thank the star, ground and come back to the spell whenever you feel like you need to fit the holes in the armour. If you are using an object, it's time to take it, hold it in your hands, visualize or speak the protection going inside it, and then, if you have the tarot card, place the card on the surface by the window with the item on top, or just place the item and let it charge with the star energy overnight. You can now ground and close the circle. No need to open it again to pick up the item the next morning and then carry it with you going forward. I hope this spell was helpful and I'll be back with an episode on Cosmic Deities next week. Until then, keep living in wonder. Thank you for listening to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. A huge thank you to Jenna Sword at Jenna, S-O-A-R-D on Instagram for the cover art and Papa Planet for the music. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to be notified when a new one comes out, please subscribe on your platform of choice and if you really love it, leave a five-star rating and review, which will help me be found by more people who'll enjoy it too. Also, feel free to share it on social media and with anyone you think should give it a shot. You can send your questions and comments to my email, starryskypodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com or on Instagram at starryskypodcast. And you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter, at witchymusings.substack.com where I share reflections and tips about the astrological seasons. Until next time...